0: RunasRadio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the Internet Audio Talk Show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 809, Dev in 2022, with guest Jess Dodson. Recorded Monday, December 20th, 2021. Run as Radio is produced each week by Sound Thoughts LLC. For more information, visit SoundThoughtsLLC.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash run as radio well happy new year welcome back to run as radio i'm richard campbell and my guest today is jess dodson who's a customer engineer at microsoft australia she focuses on identity and security and if you've run into girl germs online chances are you've spoken to jess Ms. Girl Germs herself, Jess Dodson. Welcome back.
1: Thank you very much for having me again.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, this is the second time around. And in fact, you know what I should do? I've got a comment from a listener from your last show. Oh, wow. The one where we talked about getting Active Directory ready for Azure, uh, November of 2020. Uh, it was one of the last Pandemic Series shows. You recall that last year when I started, we started talking about Pandemic topics, I actually started doing an extra show a week on pandemic topics. But roughly around this point was where it became really blurry between what was pandemic and what wasn't. Like, we were just kind of in the new normal. So I think this was one of the very last ones. Uh, and this comment is from Jordan, I it's mean, at least from a year ago, who said, hey, Jess painted such a beautiful picture. It's, too, it's just too bad. It's so far reach for small businesses, which I don't think is fair because most of what we talked about for Azure AD and Azure migration was just work. Cleaning up Active Directory, you know, dealing with those uh, individual elements, and sort of modernizing your your AD, getting it up to the highest uh, operational level you functional level you can, and so forth. But he goes on to say many of these features are only available top enterprise plans. This needs to be part of the discussion since small business makes up a large part of private sector jobs. We're definitely trying to raise the bar, but the options are pretty limited or very expensive. Again, I don't know that I agree with Jordan here because there are some per pay options, right? Like if you use yeah, the 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 defender and so forth. You know, I had Sonia Cuff on not that long ago.
1: Sonia's amazing. She's so
0: great. You, the Australian security women blow my mind. And she made that point. It's like, listen, there's a when you're paying for that, it's cause you're paying for people who in real time are monitoring and acting on this stuff. That's what you pay for. The software comes free on every skew of m365
1: yeah absolutely and that's to me that's the thing like you when you are looking at paying for something like this and paying for the intelligence you're, you're literally paying for the intelligence that sits behind it and right. that to me is the big thing like you don't see all of the work that goes in behind the scenes you just get the prettiness at the front that goes by the way here are some of the things that are wrong or here are some of the things you should be looking at and you don't You don't see all the work that goes behind all of that. So that's what you're paying for.
0: And a lot of those security features are free. And everybody, I mean, your InfoSec team in the Azure world that are watching this gestalt of the criminals attacking systems, they fight them for everyone, whether you're paying for the fancy plan or not.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. If you're in Azure or Microsoft 365, like they are protecting everyone. They are looking out for all of our infrastructure right that's the point
0: yeah and they and you do send me enough emails to the point where i just don't read them anymore to about (laughs) all these there's a lot of emails Jess. my goodness so i think that's part of the challenge is that folks are buried in the email of the ongoing refinements and improvements to things uh and 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 those security features there are some pay features and you don't have to buy them to get an awful lot of the benefit but you get more if you do
1: Yeah. And not only that, the big one that I always say, a lot of people are always concerned about from an Azure AD perspective, oh, we've got to pay for Azure AD P1 or P2. So the premium one or premium two features to be able to get the benefit. Yes, you do. But you don't have to buy that for everyone. No, Just buy it for your administrators. They're the important one.
0: I would do the amends first and then senior exec second. The the folks that are going to be business email compromised.
1: Yeah, so your privileged identity management. Yeah. Privileged identity management, yeah. and identity protection, all of that, they're the ones you want to protect. You don't necessarily have to protect every single person. Yeah, that's,
0: a, that's a great point. I appreciate that. You I don't would, have to turn it on for everybody.
1: No, I would love it if you did. <laughs> <laughs> I would love it if everyone was protected. Yeah. But yeah. I understand that that's not always going to happen. From a cost perspective, It's it may not be feasible.
0: Yeah, yeah. Now, that's great insight, Jess, too. It's like... And and you bring up the valid point, which is, boy, the the bad guys are targeting sysadmins these days. We're the ones. You better be using your password manager. And by the way, password managers, while they're not free, are not expensive. And multi-factor authentication is free and still seems to be your best defense.
1: Free. Use MFA. MFA. 99.9% of accounts that are compromised had no MFA. MFA on. If you have MFA, you are in a way better position, you are far less likely to be compromised. I
0: uh, I have uh, just, the last show of the year was my sort of IT in 2022, the recap of the last year and so forth. And I brought up the fact that modern cybersecurity insurance, it's very typical now to have this, this insurance is null and void if that account did not have NFA on it. Because the actuaries know too. I mean, once the actuaries have caught on to how important multi-factor authentication is, You should take that seriously. My big concern is that the CFO (laughs) signed the insurance policy and never told IT because he doesn't understand how important that is.
1: And I think that's the big one. Like we, I don't think we do a good enough, and I've ranted about this way too much and we're probably going slightly off topic here. But MFA to me is security basics. We should have MFA for everybody. Everyone should have MFA. It should just be, this is standard. You get an account, you turn on MFA. That's just the way it is.
0: Yep. And it, it really shouldn't work any other way. Uh, and, and authenticator is just not that hard and also free. Like it's just, and everybody's got a phone. If you're going to use SMS, you better use You better off using an authenticator. Like all these things are better. You're right. You're right. We're off on a rant. Hey, Jordan. Yeah. Thank you so much for your comment. <laughs> a run as radio mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a run as radio mug, write a comment on the website at runasradio.com or on any of the social medias. We publish every show to Facebook and to LinkedIn. And if you comment there and I read it on the show, We'll send you a run as radio mug. You've got a mug. Did I send you a I mug? I do have
1: a Yay. mug. I do. Is it It's purple? one of my favorite. It's huge. No, it's yellow. It's yellow. I have a yellow mug. Oh, that's right. Because you, you
0: did a yellow show. So you got the yellow I mug. I
1: did do a yellow show.
0: Yeah. Yes. Well, I'm glad she likes it. Uh, I have I have noticed more and more when I go to send out a mug to a, uh, a, a guest, they ask for a particular color. You know, so oh. the awareness of the 11 metro colors that I make all the mugs in. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, And I now find people are finding out they will fade if you wash them in the dishwasher enough. No, so oh, you
1: wash them by hand. Yeah, no, apparently, which
0: is a thing, which uh, I'm a little flattered by, but yeah, that's uh, the thing that's happening. Well, here we are in 2022, Jess. Uh, I think 2021 was one of the most difficult security years I've ever seen. My My theory is that the response to the pandemic of pushing everybody at home blew up any semblance of perimeter security, and not enough of us did zero trust. Our, our zero trust was a little too trustworthy, and we were just vulnerable.
1: Very, very. And zero trust is very topical at the moment. Everyone mm-hmm. is very focused on zero trust. I am flat out at the moment in work doing, focusing on least privilege, because that seems to be the other big one that's mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, of note at the moment, because everyone's working remotely and you don't necessarily know who's accessing your systems.
0: Well, and it, you know, it begs the question with this whole log for j thing, which is, like why, why was I able to ping a logging library directly in the first place? like why was oh, why was that ever a thing?
1: Log for j log for j the gift that just keeps on giving <laughs> it was like the Christmas present for infosec professionals. It's oh, like here you were gonna man. have a break. no, no breaks for you um
0: yeah and and none of us should throw stones the the us dot net folks have had plenty of security issues you know, earlier in 2021 with the half exploits for exchange, like we've all taken a kicking. Apparently it was Java's turn.
1: It was. And I think, I think it's, it, it, it does sort of round robin. Like there is no one who is Immune. exempt yeah. from this. Yes, True. it's, you will get pinged at some point. That's the one good thing. So being a blue teamer, we have to protect all of the things. Whereas an attacker just has to find the one little weakness. And there's always going to be one, like we can't, avoid that. We've just got to be able to do as much as we can to protect against it. And I think that's where Log4J has really proven one of our big weaknesses Sure. in that why are we not doing a of materials for our applications? Why are we not paying attention to how our in-house applications are built and what software they're utilizing to be able to run? And I think that to me is the, the biggest issue that we're finding is that organizations don't know if they're compromised or don't even know if they're vulnerable right. because they have no idea whether it's running in their
0: environment. And it, it was all the internally built apps that were the big, I mean, there was certainly external apps that were also exploited, were at risk. But I mean, those teams, I think about uh, Ubiquity Networking, their controllers, uh, all depending on Log4j, but they got their patches out pretty darn quickly. Uh,
1: they did, yes.
0: But to me, talking to IT folks, it was when... The CTO or the CIO turned around and said, "Are we vulnerable?" And you couldn't answer the question.
1: Yeah, you could You can see the op stuff going.
0: Yeah. Uh, what's <laughs> what? So a software bill of materials. I, I mean, I love the term. I you know, it's got a Wikipedia entry, so that's a good sign. But literally just a list of the libraries you depend on. And
1: to me obviously if, if anyone's listening to this and they've heard me read right before I speak a lot about the security basics and this to me is the application version of uh, a CMDB
0: sure. so this is
1: knowing what you have yeah and knowing how things are built and how things connect to one another and a software bill of materials is it is the underpinning documentation that sits with your development of applications like right. I I, I'm struggling to understand how this is one of those things that's been missed. At the same time, I feel a little bad. and I'm going to throw a lot of shade at Agile and the whole, let's work faster and let's just keep doing iterations and it'll be fine. And I think that's probably got a lot to do with it because it's just move quicker, move quicker, move quicker.
0: But at the same time, because part of that process is automating build and deployment, which means you have a document that is the bill of materials. It's the build process. Like it's, you would hope it it references everything. I mean, the idea that we would extract that in some way that you could make it visible to your infosec guys to say, Hey, here's what's in the bill of materials for this application. But that's the other side of agile is this automation, which means operating documentation code that brings in all those things. I just wonder if we've not asked the devs that question as IT folks.
1: And it's, and it is quite possible that from the perspective of operations or security, security's gone. I don't know if we're vulnerable, and operations have gone, I don't know if we're vulnerable, and neither of them have gone and actually spoken to the developers who have produced these applications who may actually be able to tell you that. They're relying on operation staff to give that information and operation.
0: Sure. And are also the ones that are probably going to be able to fix it for you too, by getting that patched version of that library into play and getting it into the build pipeline. So it is kind of an all heads (laughs) DevSecOps. Yes.
1: DevSecOps. Why can't we do (laughs) DevSecOps well? (sighs) Well, I
0: mean, what I like about this is if I've got a security responsibility of any kind, like just this fact that I need to go talk to dev about this, like all so often we have dev making asks of us. The fact that we can make asset dev back, like there's a mutuality to that. It's like, hey, I really... It's nice. it, would, it would help. And, and you know, building a script that would take that, that build uh, application, the thing that puts that software together and deploys it to extract all the libraries so that I have this management database down to the library level so that when asked the question, hey, what log4j have we got? And if you want to get fancy, what versions of log4j are we using? dun 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 like that should be queryable that should absolutely be be queryable
1: it would be nice to see more collaboration between all of all of tech so devs security and ops should be spending more time collaborating. and i think and now I'm going off on a really weird tangent here. That's probably my <laughs> biggest bugbear when it comes to something like DevSecOps is you see organisations that are like DevSecOps. That sounds awesome. That's one person who can do all of the things. Yeah. No, that's not what it is. Yeah. Um. And I think there's been quite a, 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 I wouldn't say a love-hate, but a hate-hate relationship between development and operations because it's it's very much a devs do things that operations hate, and ops always say no. So devs hate ops. So it it needs to be that mutual doing things together to have the right outcome and involving security from the get-go. Yeah. And that, to me, is the part that we miss, both from a development and an operations perspective, that getting security involved rather than just having it get sort of tacked on the end of, oh, yeah, maybe we should mention this to security.
0: Well, and I, I, I appreciate this. If I could automate this mechanism. So we have standard deployment mechanisms going into our production servers or even into our, our QA servers. And so every time a new app is being brought to fruition or they're modernizing an app, it comes into the stack that part of its build process is an extract to a bill of materials. We, that's also a great trigger for InfoSec, right? It's, a, hey, new stuff just landed here. New, new, it's a new app or new versions and so forth. Like now you don't have to depend on dev or ops to remember to tell InfoSec. They would naturally see it because part of their purview is this bill of materials problem
1: and my concern around that like we need to make sure that when it comes to that piece of documentation that it is like it's just part of the process like it's not just a an afterthought it's we have to produce this thing because it is necessary and it's not just a nice to have no it's not just a oh from an inventory perspective it is a from a security from a business continuity from a disaster recovery perspective we need to know this information and
0: right that any application deployed onto my production servers part of its deployment process includes populating this uh, this configuration ma- management database so that
1: absolutely
0: i have a constant inventory i know what's going on there i mean i would start with my public facing servers i would want to get all the way to the desktop like the number of organizations I talk to today that still don't know all the software that's running inside of their organization, like they just don't know.
1: No, and they don't. And particularly like when you take a look at when they start doing, um, operating system upgrades, right. That's where things like that raise their ugly head. And they're like, why are we running this software that only runs on
0: 32 XP? bit windows 98? Yeah. <laughs> like, how did, how, did, how did this? why is that raised? a thing? <laughs>
1: how is this still here? And, and i think that's one of the the other things that we find with a lot of organisations that they keep technological debt yeah to their detriment yeah like to their rather than finding oh 100% and rather than finding something that can replace it that is likely going to be far better yes it's going to take time yes it's likely going to cost money but from a perspective of security and supportability sure. and reliability to me, it, it's a no-brainer to look at upgrading something like that rather than relying on something that was written by application developers who probably no longer exist in right. your organization back in the the early 2000s that is only supported on a single, and I'm quoting from experience here, a single server 2000 machine. yeah. that that just runs and no one can turn off like it's
0: yeah and you should have that thing for a while ago but you know suddenly it occurs to me this cmdb is not only answering the question hey what's our attack surface when this vulnerability shows up but also what's the the oldest most dangerous thing still running this organization that we should retire next (laughs) right just that query to answer that question that's a powerful question to answer
1: I think it is a very powerful question. I think a lot of organizations would be very terrified to have that question answered. That's pretty funny. (laughs) I don't think they have the money or money, probably not so much. I think the biggest issue organizations are facing at the moment when it comes to security is manpower.
0: Sure. So it's bums
1: on seats. Yeah.
0: Yep. and, And automation. And Jess, I'm going to interrupt for one moment for this very important message. This episode of Run As Radio is brought to you by the Humanitarian Toolbox. Humanitarian Toolbox builds open-source software for disaster relief organizations. One of the leading projects, called Two Weeks Ready, helps individuals, families, and communities prepare for disasters using smartphones. HTBox builds and operates this and other applications on behalf of a variety of disaster response organizations, and they need your help. Go to HTBox.org for more information or to make a tax-deductible donation. HTBox is a 501c3 U.S.-registered charity. Your donations help support the creation of this life-saving software. Thanks. And we're back. It's Run As Radio. I'm Richard Campbell. That's Jess Dodson down in Brisbane. And we're talking about this this whole aspect of the configuration management database and this tool of automation. That's what is exciting to me. I know we have a limited number of butts and seats. We only have so much time. You only get, you know, it's the old Stephen Covey, quadrant one, quadrant two, quadrant three, like how much time do you get to work on preventative? If I had that query, that database of all of those applications so that I could literally point to the biggest danger in our organization from an application perspective, at least create a priority list, A as soon as I can equate that to business risk, I probably can squeeze some more money out of the organization. Like just having that ROI conversation is so powerful. Not it feels bad or, you know, we have technical debt, but an organized list of risk.
1: And operations and even security to some extent, Mm -hmm. because we're tech, we are not good at speaking in a language the business understands. And I think if we are to get business on board and get our organizations on board with this kind of thinking that we need to do this. We need to spend the time. We need to spend the money on it, that giving them, this is what the ROI would be. This is why this is important. This is how much money we can save you. Right. Um, I think that is the most important conversation. Any type of operations, DevOps operations or SecOps can sure. have with, within their organization, because at the end of the day, the work that we're doing is to protect our organizations. Sure. That's what we're doing, protecting our, their data, protecting our users, protecting our infrastructure. And I think our organizations don't understand that that's what we're asking money
0: for. Right. And I'll, But I also think they're listening better right now than they have in a long time. Like the pandemic made it abundantly clear to most organizations how important IT was. Like I, I talk to a lot of IT folks now that's, that are a little uncomfortable with the fact that they kind of have a seat at the table in leadership these days and are being asked questions they're struggling to answer more often than not, too. But it is, it is at least while they're listening, we have an opportunity to help protect them because, boy, 2021 was a bad black hat year. Like, ransomware as a mm. service, although that largely got crushed because when bad guys get organized, the good guys get organized <laughs> more. Uh, but still, I think we're more
1: used to being organized, let's be honest. I yeah. think that was that was more what it came down to. But I agree.
0: Well, the, and the FBI dropping a couple of $10 million bounties out there. Because the nice thing it about dealing helps. with bad guys is that they'll turn on themselves for the money. They were in it for the money.
1: I think a lot of organizations have woken up to the fact that their business is underpinned by their technology. Right. And if they're not investing in that technology and they're not investing in securing that technology, than they are at risk, Sure. both from a reputational perspective but also from a financial perspective when it comes to if the users can't do what they're supposed to be doing, they're not making money. So there is more money being invested slowly. We're yeah. seeing a little bit more. I would like to see more money being spent on people um, than just on tools. And I think that to me is – it feels – I feel a little bit traitorous saying that, no, no. <laughs> because but these... tools tools are a big thing. But unless you've got good people to operate those tools it and understand matter. what those yeah. tools, yeah, there's there's no point. There is no point in spending all of this money on an amazing seam or saw system if there's no one to operate it.
0: Yeah. Although that cmdb list, you know, just the top twenty most dangerous apps in our organization, and. The time it'll take to retire each one, like how better to make a case for another couple of FTEs in your org?
1: Uh that in itself would make that money back. Like you would be able to, to return that money. Like when you phrase it, if we were to be compromised by this, this is how much money we could potentially lose. We now know that this is a vulnerability. We've got the ability to mitigate it, but we need X number of people to help us do that in a very short time frame. Do you have the money? I can't see a reason why businesses would say no.
0: Well, and especially if you start, so you get, now you add that sword on only three people use this application. Can't we find a better solution? Like how do we get this thing retired right, and re- replace it with something else? Um, honestly, more and more from an IT perspective, I'm like building custom software is just represents too much risk. Like show me the SaaS product that exists that will do this job. And even to get into stuff like Power Apps, which is basically going to force you down the path of zero trust. You can't use it any other way, right? And it's going to solve a bunch of those other problems.
1: And we have, like, even COT software, so custom off-the-shelf software, we've got so much of it available these days that... Building in-house applications, I can I can always see, like, there is going to be a need for it. Like, there will be some of those in-house applications that need to be built sure. in-house. I get that. But at least building it on that SaaS framework and having that underpinning everything, so that way you do have all of those security controls inbuilt from the get-go. Yeah. And not only that, you've got the ability to utilize some of the support frameworks of that, SaaS underpinning to be able to assist you should the worst happen
0: Mm -hmm. the cloud side of things that is more likely to detect an exploit sooner than you will before it goes off perhaps even close it off at least give you more of a fighting chance like absolutely take, take the help where you can get it we are outgunned we're always outnumbered that's why these cloud offerings are more than just now i get to pay for it by the by the minute it's also, and I have a, a a security crew behind me that's helping me.
1: And I I struggle a little with a lot of organizations who, when I'm speaking with them, they're like, "We can't afford that." I'm like, "You can afford it because you will get so much out of it." Yeah, it's just that you don't know what you will get out of it. I think that's it's the like biggest arguing
0: issue. against the cost of door locks.
1: Yeah, it, to me, I find it very strange that there are organizations and there are even security and CIOs and CTOs and, and, and CISOs out there who argue against spending that money. And I think a lot of it comes down to they don't know what they don't know and they right. don't realize just what they get. And we don't do a very good job of selling that.
0: And we get hung out to dry when it goes sideways, right? When a ransomware <sighs> attack goes off, it's like, why didn't you prevent this? You know, part of this entire effort then is to present the scope of risk And to say, like, here is what we can do to decrease, not eliminate, but decrease our risk of ransomware or business email compromise.
1: We are, and that's the thing. Security is very much in risk management. Blue teamers are risk managers. That's what we do. We're trying to mitigate the most prominent risks in the environment. That's what we're focused on. At the same time, I think when it comes to the way that we do that, I'm not sure... A lot of blue teamers do get very myopic. We sort of zone in and go, this is the one thing we must focus on. And there needs to be a broadening. Sure. And I sure. think that may be why something like Log4J did end up causing some of the havoc. I think a lot of heads we turned when it
0: lifted up, right? We were looking yeah, at the wrong that, thing.
1: That's the thing. So we were focused on zero trust and least privilege and and very focused on this thing. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh crap, we totally forgot about all of our applications that People are authenticating it, that's so great. Like we've, we're, we're getting the authentication and MFA and, and privileged identity management and, and all of that sorted, but we missed this big chunk of do we know what our applications are running? Do we understand, as yeah. you've you've mentioned, all the libraries that they are running? Are they vulnerable? And we didn't focus on that, and I think that's where a lot of blue teamers are now starting to realise we need to have that broader view rather than that very myopic very concentrated view on a single thing or a single focus because red teamers don't do that
0: well that's just the problem you when you wear the tinfoil hat the tinfoil hat wears you back right like (laughs) it it is a feedback you are in an echo chamber because other people don't want to hear it and you'll tend to just keep smashing into, into the wall over and over again in some ways i kind of like it when we don't have purely dedicated security people because that broad set of work, if you can do a few different jobs and touch more of the organization, it's easier to have a sense of how work gets done, what productivity looks like, th- those pieces. you know, I, I feel for the InfoSec guys who, you know, eventually the rest of the organization is wrapped to them as, that's just a business impediment tool over there, slowing things down.
1: And I am a huge, huge fan of proper security operations. So,
0: mm-hmm.
1: op- and I, I say that, not focusing on those people who are like proper security operations, who sit in socks and who spend their time looking at seams and, and, reacting to incidents. I'm talking about security operations in the sense of operations staff who also wear that security hat, who are also very much focused. And I I say that with a lot of love because in a previous life as a systems administrator, that was what I did. That was what I focused on. I was focused on securing my active directory environment, even though that wasn't my primary function. I was there to keep the identity system running. But security underpinning that operations is what makes for a really good security person because they understand the infrastructure.
0: Right. And be able to have that information. When those CVEs come in, who reads them? And who answers the question, (laughs) does this impact the organization? (laughs) <laughs> right? And, and that's sort of that I, I, I'm i not going to say that's every IT person's job, but that should be a lot of jobs the, the, in that space.
1: And it's not. I think a lot of organizations have pigeonholed yeah. and there are those silos of this is operations and this is development and these are our security people and never shall they interact with one another and they all have very specific roles. And I think we need to allow our developers and our operations staff to have more of a say and more of a a focus on that security to enable them to do better work. And we need to enable them to do that. And I think that's the biggest issue because they've been very much security is not your job, that is the security team's job, and no, you shouldn't touch that we shouldn't be doing that we should be saying no you need to be focused on this you need to see those cves
0: you should it has to be part of your problem space. you
1: should have access to our scene you should see these incidents as they're coming in you should help us resolve them when they come in because it's part of your job too yep
0: yeah. well and, we, and none of us have a job if this goes down right if they if the if the if the worst happens then the attackers are successful
1: no one no one wants to be to blame no No. one no one wants to be the person getting called into the office saying uh you missed this and uh bye
0: yeah how could you let this happen
1: yes which is grossly
0: unfair too right like and, and again you know you can also look at this whole exercise in configuration management as a cover your ass exercise that it's like hey i have presented to management the scope of the risk i haven't kept it a secret i haven't talked in vague terms I have done uh, my job. I have covered this.
1: Yes, and that to me is, from a business perspective, a CMDB or an SBOM that contains all of those bills of materials for your applications, that to me is their way of mitigating that risk and being able to say, yes, we've got all of this. But from an operations perspective, even from a development and a security perspective, that is very much a, I have done everything I can yeah. I have been able to find the information and I have presented it to management and I have given them my recommendations on what we should do. Mm-hmm. What they do from here is now up to them. I've done what I can do from a risk perspective. I'm fine.
0: Yeah, you can't stop the log for j thing from happening, but you're doing your job well when that CV comes across your desk and you can quickly find all of the apps that are running Log4J be even better if they also knew what versions that you can inform them these versions are vulnerable. Because apparently the really old versions of Log4J, like if you were truly negligent in your Java app but it's like (laughs) a version, it's a Java app from 1998, you were fine. Yeah, I am
1: so frustrated to the nth degree by that. That, That's probably the most irritating part of all of this because I've spent so much time going, no, update all of your things yeah. make sure you've got the most recent versions. And now we're like, by the way, if you're running a really old version of Java, yeah, you're, you're fine. doing
0: fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just like, you know, if I have a piece of software old enough, it can't connect to the network. It's fine. <laughs> it's yeah, not no issues deal. whatsoever. But I do like the idea that I as an IT person would be responding well, looking at that CVE, being able to query that data, present that scope of risk right away and say, I think, you know, and then even make the recommendation, I think we need developers to focus on this. I would even consider turning off the following applications until they are patched, you know, which I saw happen here in Canada. A whole bunch of government Anything services went pricing. away. Yeah, turn them off.
1: Public facing? Just turn it off. Oh no, I, I, I the taxman man be- turn
0: off their sites in Canada. You couldn't file taxes for a week because it was and, all shut down.
1: And I get that, like from a... A security and a risk perspective, I 100% understand sure. it because that was this is the, the easiest way to mitigate that risk. But the bigger concern there is, and we've been talking about it a little bit, if you don't have that bill of materials, if you don't know which of your applications are running those libraries, how do you know which ones to turn off? So yeah. do you turn everything off or do you just leave everything running and leave yourself possibly open to an attack? True. And I think that's, that's where organizations – sort of sat up and paid attention and went, crap, we actually do need to know which ones of our applications, and particularly our public-facing and our internet-facing ones, are vulnerable to this because if it's public-facing and people can access it and they can
0: exploit it. Yeah, we're in big trouble. All
1: hell's going to break loose, yeah. Yeah. I, I
0: also think this is a really great conversation because there are only so many conversations that do happen between DevSec and Ops. And all of us are affected by this now. So to, to this, we need to build up this bill of materials. We need to be able to respond to these kinds of vulnerabilities. I think is hugely powerful. Hey, before we run out of time, any thoughts on the open source side of this? I mean, Log4J was an open source project. I think there were some folks saying, this is why we shouldn't be using open source.
1: Okay. So I have been lurking on InfoSec Twitter for a while, and I have seen quite a lot of vitriol um, aimed at the supporters and maintainers of this code. The
0: and volunteer th- supporters Volunteering
1: and supporters yes. of this code. These are not paid people. They are right. not paid to do this. They do this out of the goodness of their heart and because they love the software. And the hate directed towards them, how could you let this happen? How is this possible that this mis they are volunteering their time yeah. to create this piece of software that so many people use and that not a lot of people contribute money towards supporting. Right. So I would like to see organisations who are utilising this kind of open source software, if they are going to be heavily utilising it particularly in these huge production workloads that they are even if it's a nominal amount putting some money towards sure. supporting it,
0: it's very because fair. it
1: doesn't it doesn't just run on on goodwill it's it's a piece of software that obviously is important to a lot of people and is utilized by a lot of organizations and underpins a lot of applications mm-hmm. and yet we are relying on the goodwill and the best efforts and it is their best efforts they are doing everything they can to 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 do the best that they can and i don't think it's fair to lump the blame on them
0: well and it also it occurs to me if if log4j had been a retail product i mean every retail software product comes with a eula and the first thing the eula says is our liability is limited absolutely being a retail product would not have stopped this from happening either
1: no, it wouldn't. Maybe it would have, from the perspective of there would have been more eyes looking over it, so there would have been more perspectives to take a look and see this vulnerability. But at the same time, we can't guarantee that that no. would be the case.
0: Argu- Arguably, there are fewer eyes. Open source, at least, you can the best and brightest can aim at something very quickly, as opposed to closed source, where it's only what the company resources have.
1: Exactly. And I would like to give a big... I call it hug ops, yep. to the poor folks who are maintaining the code because I think they worked so quickly to try and find what the issue was and help mitigate it. Yeah. Be- being very transparent in that as well. Like y- you can imagine that for a lot of people, they may have been like, no, 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 there's nothing to see here. No, there was there was a lot of transparency in regards yeah. to this. And I don't think they deserve the vitriol that had been directed at them. Well,
0: and fixing the path and just fixing the code wasn't the real problem anyway. Ultimately, you still had to roll it out everywhere.
1: Yes, absolutely. And
0: it doesn't matter what strategy you used, you were going to have that problem.
1: No, it wouldn't it wouldn't have made any difference. And I think that ties back very nicely. Bums on seats. And yeah. it, it works both ways. We need more bums on seats to be able to do that work of rolling it out. But from a an OSS supporting perspective, they need more bums on seats to help them yeah. do this. So if there are people out there who are throwing shade, maybe they should put their hands up and help support this
0: software. Throw a little money into the equation too. And this, you know, the foundations and such are a part of this. I just think it's interesting. From an IT sec perspective, to say, yeah, we're looking at our bill of material, the other side of this bill of materials is which of these are open source libraries we should be contributing to them. Absolutely. Whether that's cash or dev resources, we should all be contributing to them. They're important to us enough that we're using them.
1: They are, and that's we do not give enough credit. Like a lot of focus is given to the big software companies True. and the ones that we're paying money for, but. A lot of our organizations, I would say pretty much every organization, is reliant on some form of OSS. Yeah,
0: it's true. Somewhere
1: in their organization, they are reliant on it. They may not realize it, and that's where that SBOM comes into into play, understanding where they are reliant and being able to put some resources back into supporting that so that there is the help when something like this happens.
0: Awesome. Hey, Jess, thanks so much for coming on the show. Happy New Year. Glad to have you on
1: happy new year to you yeah. too hopefully 2022 we're not gonna I, we're gonna get a break we're I gonna think get the, the tagline right is
0: gonna be it couldn't be worse <laughs> <laughs> I don't know the answer to that we had but.
1: 2020 <laughs> then 2021 2022 it's, it's it's very much gonna be you can see it now 2022 hold my beer <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah I think we already had a couple of years of that I'm ready to put the beer down for a little while <laughs> Thanks again for coming on.
1: No dramas. Thank you for having me. You bet. And we'll
0: talk to you next time on Run As Radio.